Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So um, this morning we have the privilege of um, receiving ministry from Christu. Um, he was an elder in the church and he, they do our, Christian only do our uh, marriage prep and uh, marriage enrichment. And uh, yesterday, was it yesterday? Yes, yeah, no, the day before. Friday, they also help present the the family covenant family section on on legacy, and um, yeah, they they have a, a wonderful track record in their marry, marriage of being married what thirty four I can't remember how many years thirty thirty five years, and um, uh, two wonderful sons and now some grandchildren as well. So so they they really blessed. And um, yeah, that is going to be. Uh, Chris is just going to be sharing with us about just the difference between how the world sees relationship and marriage and those kinds of stuff, and, and the way God sees it. So um, let's let's put our hands together and welcome Christy and open up our hearts to receive from him. Thank you, Christy. I want to share with you a story about um, Peter and Sylvia. Now, Peter was an elderly gentleman. He was heading towards retirement, and so was Sylvia. But Peter has this specific problem. He had smelly feet. Actually, it was so bad that they used his socks to chase away insects at night. And Sylvia, she had another problem. She had a very smelly breath. In fact, it was so bad that she would eat garlic as a breath freshener. (laughs) Now, Peter and Sylvia eventually got married. And then, on their wedding night, it happened. Peter was, (laughs) what is this? And Sylvia, she has just taken out her teeth and put it there in the little glass of water and she was trying to hide it and as Peter came closer Sylvia said Peter I have to tell you something but Peter said it's okay I know you ate my socks (laughs) so they clearly had different expectations and I'm going to ask you just to turn to the person next to you and quickly in about two or three minutes, just share with one another, what do you think, why do people enter into relationships? And uh, what, what do they expect? Do they expect to be better off? Or, yeah, just in two or three minutes, just share with one another and then I'll continue. All right. I'm sure you mentioned quite a lot of different things, and it might range from, okay, I'll enter into this relationship, and once I'm married, uh, I'll be out of this financial predicament, or I'll have social status, I'll be professor, doctor's so-and-so's wife, or I'll be... You know, but in the end, 
boils down to three things. Research has shown it, that there are three major forces why people enter into relationships. And those are money, sex or love, and power. Money, sex or love, and power. So let's look into it into a bit more detail. When we look at money, the world says, come on, climb the corporate ladder. ladder. You deserve it. Your status is measured in what car you drive and the size of your bank balance. Use your credit card to pay off your other credit card. <laughs> Be successful. Show them, but don't let them know how much you owe. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, control your money through covetousness or contentment. A covetousness for us Afrikaans speaking ook is, dit is geldgierigheid. And die hebsig, that type of thing. You want, 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 just want money. Money can divide and bring conflict. Many couples just had it and they split. Either because they don't have enough money, or they want more money, or they have too much more money. Or they don't have money at all. But it's a big cause of conflict. They have this expectation that they will be better off once they are married and they'll get out of debt. But it just didn't happen. My husband earns all this money and he just gives me a tiny bit of maybe three rand. And it just ain't enough. And then next month he gives me 3,000 and it just ain't enough. And next month he gives me 30,000 and mm, it just ain't enough. Yeah, because I want more, more, more. I can give you a number of tips on how to manage your money, but this isn't what I'm here for today. Let's look at what the Bible says. There are two root causes for problems with money. We find them in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, where it says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there's two things. It is without covetousness and with contentment. So just for a second, put contentment in that corner and covetousness in this corner. Now, if we look at covetousness, there are two things. You can either, either have money and want more and more and more to save it in this corner or to spend it also in this corner. Now, if you want to just gather it and have more, more, and more, and more. I'm going to save it for a rainy day, just in case, just in case. You know, and come a rainy day, do we, 
Do we use it? No. We rather rely on the medical aid or social grant or whatever instead of using the money that we save for a rainy day. But you know what is the root cause there? The root cause is you want to save up and gather all this money because you don't trust the Lord that he will sustain you. You trust in money instead of trusting in the Lord. So you gather it up and you gather it up. And you know, What did the Lord say about a person who just gathered it up? Remember that parable in Luke where the rich man decided, okay, I saved all this, what will I do? I'll take down the barn and I'll build a bigger one so that I can get more money. And what did the Lord say? He said, you fool, you fool. You're trusting your money to keep you safe, but tonight... Life will be taken away from you, and whose will all those money be? You fool. You didn't trust in me, you trusted in your money. In the same corner, we also have the one who wants more money in order to spend more. And I never realized it before when I read the parable of the prodigal son. But why did he want more money? Why did he want his father to share his inheritance with him? wanted it because you could have more money to waste on the sinful living. He wanted more money in order to afford more prostitutes or more whatever he wasted his money on. More, more, more. So he found his joy in worldly things. He had this expectation that having more money he could buy joy. By himself pleasure. And then when he wasted it, what was he left with? He realized that he had to go back to his father. And he repented. So you've got covetousness. You've got this one side, the one to more in order to store it up. On the other side, want more in order to buy pleasure. But what does the word say? Hebrews 13. I'm enough. So what is in that corner? Contentment. So the solution to money problems is not to have more or to plan better. Yes, you have to plan. The Lord did give you some wisdom. He did give people some wisdom to come up with all financial tools, etc. But that ain't the bottom line. The bottom line with money problems is it is a hard issue. It is a hard issue. Are you content with what the Lord trusts you with? Are you content? People often ask me, what do you think about tithing? I said, okay, it's scriptural. Uh, do, do you think I can give a little bit more, more? Then my reply usually is, why don't you give all? Why limit to giving only 10% to the Lord? Why don't you give everything to the Lord and say, Lord, 
This is yours. This is what you're trusting me with. Show me how you want me to spend it. How you want me to use it wisely. So that you be glorified and your kingdom come. You're trusting me with this. You are enough for me. You know the word contentment is also found in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where Peter asks the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh. And the word that the Lord uses there, my grace is sufficient for you. The word sufficient is the same word as contentment. Be content with what the Lord gives you in his grace, in his mercy. And learn to live from him, to depend on him, rather than to depend on the money and the wealth and the status and the pleasure because he is sufficient. So what is the root cause for money problems in a relationship? Covetousness. What is the answer? It's contentment. Knowing that the Lord will sustain you. He will never leave you. He did make that promise. And I've known him to be a promise keeper. We sing Waymaker, promise keeper. Do we believe it? I can testify that he is faithful. He is true. And I'm sure there are many of you who can also agree with me that he is faithful and he is true. That he will keep his promises. You know that the love of money and covetousness Do you know that the Lord says it is idolatry? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money. And if you love money so much that you are seeking for more and more and more and more, either to store it or to waste it and to spend it, it is idolatry. And idolatry is sin. So let's turn our hearts towards God in our relationships. And do not let money be something that causes so much conflict because you have the wrong expectations of what money and what the relationship will bring to you. Let's look at the second thing. The second thing we mentioned was love or sex. Now, In church, when we speak about sex, we often think, okay, we're going to condemn homosexuality, or we're going to condemn extramarital affairs, or we think, okay, we shouldn't talk about it. This is a a very private subject. We should be hush-hush about it. And uh, often the world will say, no, if you love me, you will. Uh, we are married before God. So that is why we are allowed to have sex. Um, we, we haven't had a marriage, a public marriage yet, but uh, we, we are married before God. You know what? That is sin, it's fornication, adultery. 
or the world says, you have, you're not complete until you've lost your virginity. I'm 17, oh, and now I'm desperate. Or sex can be used as a tool to manipulate. Hmm, you didn't do that, so tonight you're sleeping on the Mikey. Hmm. I'm angry, no sex. No love. Or the world also sees that sex sells. Look at all the advertisements sent. Just think about the porn industry, how big it is. By the way, just a bit of margin text. If ever you get the opportunity, do read digital cocaine. Or keep quiet, do not talk about it. It's a PG-13 sermon, this, so do not talk about it. Or you think, okay, this is a sin. So, 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 just keep, keep quiet. You know, so often we think, especially those of us who were brought up in the traditional Afrikaans churches, where we confessed onses in sonde ontvangen gebore, then we think, okay, the act of conceiving was sinful. But what's, what does the Bible say? Firstly, the Bible says that within marriage, and please remember, the following points refers to sex and love in marriage. First thing, sex is good. God created you with the sexual desires. So if you have this desire, know that you were created with the sexual desire. Second thing, it's okay if you're a female also to have desires. You know, one study found that the male thinks about sex every seven minutes. And often I'll say, hmm, why so little thinking about it? <laughs> but then, it doesn't recognize that the woman is also created with sexual desires. So, acknowledge it, but to be realistic in your expectations that that is to be satisfied within the marriage situation. The third one. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. Married couples should have it often. Because it says there, if you deny one another, you open the door for Satan. And you know what? Whenever there's an explicit warning in the Bible, that will be the area where the devil will specifically attack you on. So if you say, no, I'm going to punish you for doing this and this and this and withholding my body from you, you are opening the door for a satanic binding, a satanic attack on your marriage. So be realistic in your expectation and go read, go read 1 Corinthians 7 again. Sex is not what makes you truly human. You may have the expectation, okay, 
I'll be complete when I'm in a relationship and we can be joined as one and this will be just fantastic. But you know what? John the Baptist never had sex. Nor did Elijah. Nor the Apostle Paul. Nor Jeremiah. And so we can carry on as they were complete in the eyes of the Lord. So if you're not married and you do not have the desire to get married it's okay you're not a broken person Paul says that to some the gift of celibacy is given and if you have it embrace it embrace it sex is not what makes you complete it's a wrong expectation there's so much more to marriage for example, how you together can serve the Lord in church. How you together can demonstrate what a marriage should be to the unbelieving world, through your social life, through involvement in sport, through your recreational activities, in your workplace. We are so much more than just a sexual being. So how then, how then, I wonder if you can come forward. How then can you cherish one another? And I'm going to ask Anneli just to share a couple of ways in which a Christian wife can cherish her husband. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to talk about six different ways. The first one is companionship. Now, um, companionship, doing things together. Um, it would look different in different families. For us, we like to be in nature together. We like to sit outside and look at the birds and the trees and just enjoy nature. So that companionship, a Christian wife should be her husband's best friend. After God placed the first man, Adam, in the garden, he said, it's not good that he's alone. He needs somebody. So that somebody the wife that comes alongside him and do things with him and they can cherish one another. The next one is love. A Christian wife should always love her husband. Now in Ephesians 5 verse 33 it says different things but um, one of the things it says is the wife should respect or submit to her husband and the husband should love the wife. That doesn't mean that the wife shouldn't love the husband as well. She should love him. He needs it. <laughs> and as we, need, as we love our brothers and sisters, as we love our brothers and sisters in church, uh, we've got that command, and that's also to love our husband. And 1 Peter 3 verse 1 says, Wife, likewise, be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So if the husband maybe uh, go a bit off the rails, the wife just by doing her thing and submit to her husband and love him, she might be 
the instrument that the Lord used to bring him closer to him again. Make his heart soft. Then respect. Now, sometimes ladies don't like to hear this, but you've got to respect your husband. The Lord commands that. Um, And I, I think Krista is going to talk about that later as well. The Greek word is hypotoso. That means she comes under him. And it's not about the value of the wife. It's about the order that God wants. And to submit to the husband is also to submit to the Lord. That's in a few places in Scripture. Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, and also 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 6. So respect the husband. He needs that. So let him take the decision. You can help him to um, give him some advice or your thoughts But in the end, the man's the leader of the pack. You can't have two heads in the same household. Then there's a monster. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next thing a wife can do is to help the husband. Now, help can be in different ways. Uh, It's not only the household tasks. Sometimes uh, we end up doing a lot of those. But that's not only that. You can also help him in his way with the Lord. Pray for him. It's very important for us to pray for our husbands. Um, You can also, if there's like a big matter in your house that you've got to decide on, um, then pray separately and then come, come together and compare the notes and see what the Lord said. Because he will not lead you in different ways. Sometimes the wife is there to, um, what's the right word? Um, Confirm, yeah, that's it. To confirm what the Lord wants. I remember one instance in our family. um, The Lord said to me something about our um, future. And I said, Lord, really? Is that what you want for us? And I said, well, in that case, you've got to confirm it to Krista first because he's not going to take that from me. (laughs) And it was about two weeks later, and he said to me, you know what, I think we should do this. And I said, okay, yes, Lord, that's what you want. (laughs) So, yeah, a wife is there to help her husband. And um, let me just turn the page. So she can also give him counsel, as I said, with praying about a matter, and then the Lord will confirm it to her. Then devotion. A wife can devote her to her husband. This includes being faithful in her marriage vows, caring for him physically and emotionally, praying for him and seeking his good at all times. A Christian wife should joyfully help her husband in his calling to glorify the Lord. A lot of times the the Lord shows the husband what his dream is for the household. But the wife is there to help him to work it out, to do it, to confirm it. Um, Yes, together we are a better team than separate. 
it's like a three double um, piece of rope together than to be single. Then self-respect. If a wife has got self-respect, it's so much easier for the husband to also give her respect. And um, when we were talking about submission, it, submission also doesn't mean that the, the husband can just use the wife the way he likes. He's got to submit to God and give her also respect. They must submit to one another. So in self-respect, we respect each other and together we can work for the Lord. But then I also want to say that if one gets these things wrong, there is forgiveness. We can forgive each other. A lot of times we do things to each other that's not nice, but the grace of God is that we can forgive each other, come together, pray about it, and God clears it and makes us as white as snow. So all glory to God for being good to us. Thank you, Anneli. She shared with us six ways in which a wife can cherish her husband, make him feel loved. I'll quickly run through six things that a husband can do to cherish his wife. The first one is to love. Really, really love her. He should protect her from all harm and love her above all else on earth. Second one is to respect her. You should always respect her. And when Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands, and talking a lot about submission now, it does not mean that wives must endure abuse or neglect or mistreatment of any kind. Spiritual leadership. If you provide spiritual leadership to your wife, that is an expression of love. Make her feel secure. To equip her with biblical truths. Know the word. Share the word. Read it together. Grow together. Cherish one another by, by sharing God's love and reminding one another that you are loved. Give her attention. Spend time with her. We do not always have the answer. You know, um, if you can understand why a round pizza is cut into triangles and put into a square box, then you'll understand a woman. <laughs> but just listen. Just listen. Just be there. Give her some attention. Devotion. Always be faithful. Anneli mentioned that devotion from a wife's side, yes, but also from the husband's side. Be devoted to your wife. Be faithful. Be true to her. Be true to the promise you made when you made that covenant with God, when you got married. And enjoy her. Laugh with her. Don't laugh at her, but laugh with her. Laugh with her. Let's look at the next one. We now looked at money, we looked at love and sex, 
now we're going to get to power. The world says equal rights, woman's lib, submit to your husband is no longer applicable. But you know what? It's because we do not understand what submission actually means. We talk about, okay, I'll have the power when I'm married and you will be my because you're submitting to me and I am the king in this house. And No. If that is your attitude, that is another wrong expectation. If your expectation is that when you enter into marriage, you'll have your own little kingdom where you can, the Afrikaans says, eat in gebied, just order and slap them into submission. No. Only already mentioned the word says, the, the word upotasso. Now, upotasso is made up of two Greek words. One is upo, which means under, you know, like upopotamus. So upopotamus goes, goes under the water. And tasso means to organize yourself. And when we speak about upotasso, it is how you organize yourself under Christ's headship. Because in Colossians 1 verse 18, it says Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the body. And then, so often, we quote Ephesians 5.22, but that isn't the key word in Ephesians 5. The key verse in Ephesians 5 is actually verse 21, where it says, submit to one another. So when you're thinking about power and you're thinking about the one will be the boss and the other one will be the servant, the squeegee, the floorlap, then you've got it, the whole idea of power, you've got it wrong. Because all power and all glory belongs to Jesus Christ. And he instructs you how we should organize ourselves under his headship. Not under the male's headship where all power is exercised by the male through either verbal abuse or physical strength or whatever means he wants to grab power. And then he's dishonoring Lord. A husband submitting to Christ lives under his umbrella. And a wife submitting to Christ will willingly say, okay, I will order myself, I will organize myself under the headship of Jesus Christ. Show us the biblical umbrella, please. There you can see the biblical umbrella. What does it show? It shows that if you are under the Lord's umbrella, under his grace, under his protection, then you can organize yourself and come to the full meaning of what Christ intended you to be. Do you see that in the top umbrella where you've got Christ, you've got the same colors as a husband, the wife, and the children? So if the children, for example, move out under his umbrella, you're moving out of Christ, out of his protection, out of his provision, out of his love, out of his caring. If the wife moves out under Christ, she will no longer submit to her husband. And we are now starting to understand what submission means. 
And I said that the key verse is actually verse 21, submit to one another, not wives, submit to your husband, and as the world expects it to be, the wrong expectation. Yes, you must submit. Yes, husband, you must be the leader. But how do you do it? Let's start in Ephesians 5 with verse 17. Let's start with verse 16. Making the most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. So if you are under Christ, you will make the most of each opportunity. He fills you with his spirit to make use of the opportunity to shine his light to be salt to the earth, to share the gospel. You're under Christ. Verse 17. Therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. If you move out under his protection, under his umbrella, you won't study the word and you won't get to know what he wants of you. What is his requirement? What is his blessing to you? Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. If you move out under Christ's umbrella, you're moving out from under the anointing of the Spirit, that you're resisting the Spirit. So if you are filled with the Spirit and do what the Spirit leads you to do, and to rejoice in him and to rejoice in the Lord and bear the fruit of the Spirit. You're under the Lord's umbrella. Then you're organizing yourself under his protection. Verse 19. Speak out, speak out to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and instruments and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. Elsewhere the word says, no one can say Jesus Christ is the Lord except through the Spirit. So if you organize yourself under Christ's leadership and you are filled with the Spirit, you will sing songs and psalms and praises to the Lord. But if you move out of under his protection and out of the, the structure that the Lord provides you and you go on in your own power, how will you praise the Lord? Because then you're not moving through the Spirit. Verse 20. At all times and for everything, give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. If you do not recognize him as the head, how can you praise him? How can you say thank you? Verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. That verse speaks for itself. It's subject to one another. So don't take the power for yourself. Because all glory, all honor, honor, all power belongs to the Lord. Verse 23. Wives be subject, be submissive, and adapt yourself to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. Now this is not about value. A wife submitting is not valueless or of less value because the husband also submits 
He submits to the Lord as you submit to the Lord. You submit to one another and be available for one another. Go read 1 Corinthians 7 again. Be willing to serve one another in love. So it's about order because the buck has to stop somewhere. That is why the Lord says, okay, husbands, you are the leader. Wives, you are his helper, he's equal. You help him and you organize yourself under his leadership, under his headship. And then you will find fulfillment in me. You will find joy in me. You will find purpose in me. You will be protected by my spirit, by my grace, by my love. You will walk in abundance that I have planned for you. But if you move out from under that umbrella, then you're moving outside my will, my child. That is what the Lord says. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself the saviour of his body. Verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things that she might be holy and faultless. Do we take this word, this Bible, do we take it as being the word of God? If we do, let's do what it says. And recognize that Entering into a relationship is not about power. It's not about abuse. But it is submitting to one another. And in such a way, we will honor the Lord. Submitting to his kingship, to his lordship. And then when we do that, When we do that, then we will say, as Psalm 23 says, no matter how much money I have or how much money I need, no matter if I'm in love or looking for love, or if I've been used sexually, abused sexually, no matter if I'm being treated Unfairly, no matter if I'm in a position of power in the organization in my work, then we can say, as Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, to feed, guide, or shield me, I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in fresh, tender, green pastures. He leads me beside the still and restful waters. He refreshes and restores my life, myself. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, of righteousness and right standing with him, not for anything other but for his name's sake. Yes, 
Though I walk through the deep sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil. For you are with me, your rod to protect and your staff to guide me. They comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My brimming cup runs over. Surely, or only, goodness, mercy, and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so many things, so many thoughts, so many expectations. Expectations about having money, having more, having enough to eat. Or thoughts of where we shall invest, where we shall spend it on, what we shall use the money for. So many desires, so many needs for love. So many hormones, so many sexual urges, so many sexual sins were committed. Power, Lord, we looking for power to abuse it or, or being abused. And then, Lord, you come and say, you are my shepherd. You will lead us to green pastures. Lord, I ask you to please come and do it now. Come with your gentle spirit and affirm it in our hearts how much you love us. Lord, please show us the wrong expectations we might have when we enter into relationships and fill us with your biblical truths. Please, Lord, we need you so much. We're desperate for you, Lord. Please be our good shepherd. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.